listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. If you've seen the Disney movie Encanto, and if you're a parent like me, maybe you've seen it way too many times, um, there's the story of the family Madrigal, and they are living in this house that has over the centuries blessed them with uh, different things, different powers, different uh, sorts of things. It's a, it's a really great, like, um, you know, seeing the gifts and other people in that. But the main character in the movie, Mary Bell, she has not been given a gift. She feels left out. And so she's, she's willing to just be super encouraging and talk to everybody else and, you know, pat everybody else on the back and encourage them in their gifts. And um, this, this house kind of bestows on them these gifts. And then there's something about a candle that, you know, keeps the gifts going and the candle goes out. I don't know. I fell asleep multiple times during this movie. So um, my kids could tell you what it's all about. But Maribel, this, this main character, she, uh, it, as the movie starts to, to play out, you start to realize that she's, she's not really okay with not having a gift. She plays the part, and she's nice and, and cute and all, but, but she, uh, she is not really okay. There's a, there's a song that she sings about a quarter of the way through uh, the, the, the movie called Waiting for a Miracle. She's just thinking that some, at some point she'll get her gift. She's waiting for a miracle. There's the lyrics in this song, she sings this, Don't be upset. Don't be mad at all. Don't feel regret or sad at all. Hey, I'm still part of the family, Madrigal. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I will stand on the side as you shine. I'm not fine. I'm not fine. We see kind of the shift of the movie change there as she starts to actually feel the things that she's feeling. She starts to actually verbalize what she is living with. That Everybody else's life seems to be bright and shiny and everybody's got these powers, but she's not okay. She's not fine. And I, I just wonder if you've come this morning on a celebratory day of Mother's Day and, and you're not fine. And I want you to know that it's okay to not be fine. You see the families up here and we've celebrated in both services with numerous families and you see the babies and their sweet faces. And for you, it's not that you don't want to celebrate with them. It's not that you can't be happy or refuse to be happy for them. It's just maybe that for you is a dream that has not yet come true. Maybe you're waiting on that miracle. You long for a family like that to be a part of your story, but because of a procedure that hasn't worked as hoped or an adoption match that hasn't happened yet, or the baby that you carried in your stomach, you didn't get to carry in your arms. There's a lot of hurt on this day for many people. Maybe it's the mother that you've lost and, and, and you, you long for the day. You're waiting for the day when you get to see her again and hug her neck again. There's pain even in the joy. I want you to know that it's okay to not be fine. God sees you. God hears you. And the people of God love you. We take seriously the call to mourn with those who mourn and and weep with those who weep. And and although we will celebrate our moms today and we will will make this a joyous day, I I, want to just make room in the room for that grief that you may bring today. We've been in this journey in the Psalms and we're searching for hope in the toughest seasons of life. And I think we could have just called this series, I'm Not Fine. I'm not okay with the pain that I'm experiencing. I'm, I'm not fine with the hurt that I'm feeling or the thoughts that I'm having or the weariness 
that I'm in. I'm not fine with a hopeless life, which is why we actually titled the sermon series Hope in the Face of your experience. Hope in the face of all of these things. And it's like we get to peer into David's journal entries from some of his worst days. But even on his worst days, even in the darkest and deepest pits of David's life, he refuses to believe that God is distant. He refuses to give up on the hope that God is there, that God is working, that God is real, and that God cares waiting on him to answer his call or waiting for him to help, waiting on his rescue, waiting for him to show up. All throughout the Psalms, we see multiple times where David is waiting and he uses this word. And maybe you read the scriptures and that word annoys you because you're like, I'm done waiting. I'm tired of waiting. I'm gonna give us a little different perspective on waiting this morning. Hope in the face of waiting. Turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. Some of you might recognize the first part of this psalm. In 1983, U2 actually used this psalm as lyrics for one of their their song called 40. Now, that was the year I was born, but I've heard many other bands cover that. So um, the the song, I thought, I'm going to dig in, you know, I'm going to go and, and, and search. Like, how did they, why did they decide to use 40? Why did they decide to use Psalm 40? Was there some deep spiritual, you know, moment that God rescued them out of the pit? So I went looking for it. Here's the story behind the song. It's not very inspiring. They were in the studio recording their war album, 1982, I believe it was. And they're, they're, they're recording this album and they've got everything done. They've already been in the studio a week longer than they were supposed to. And there was another band who nobody knows the name of because it's not you two. But like there was another band waiting to get in. So they had less than an hour before they had to be kicked out of the studio. They had music for another song. They had, uh, they had the composition and everything was all set for the other song. They'd recorded everything else, but they didn't have any lyrics. And so Bono, lead singer, picks up a Bible. And he, as we all do, lets it fall to the middle, right? Opens it up. It's like, oh, Psalms. And he starts to sing from Psalm 40. So that's not exactly the inspiration I was looking for. Like, whoops, a happenstance. Like, okay, I guess that's where we are. But when, but we know that when David writes this song, when David sings this Psalm, there's so much more than just waiting. There's so much more going on. He's not under some, you know, uh, you know, some kind of deadline for the studio or that sort of stuff. He's actually in a painful season of waiting. And so you look in Psalm chapter 40, verses one through three, and here's David's kind of, um, kind of chorus of the song that he's going to sing in chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry for help. He brought me up from the desolate pit out of the muddy clay and he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. I want to spend just a little bit focusing on those first three words of that psalm. I waited patiently. I waited patiently. Uh, my, one of my favorite Instagram follows is, a, is an account called Miserable Men. Okay, uh, Let me explain, okay? <laughs> This is just a, an account full of pictures of men sitting outside of department stores in the mall. I love it. And it's not an American thing. It's worldwide. You're like, it's so good to know that people in Japan are having the same issues. Guys, we're just there. You know how they put like playgrounds out there for, for like kids to play at while the parents are shopping? Well, they don't have that for men. They have chairs, really uncomfortable chairs, right? 
And so it's kind of like the airport where you just see people like laying on really uncomfortable furniture and you see guys asleep. You see guys just surrounded by bags, right? And they're just like thinking of all of the consequences of what has just happened during this day and waiting for their wife to come out of the next door so they can gather up the bags to go to the next door. I love this, but nobody likes to wait, right? Nobody likes waiting. It's miserable. It's passive. It's boring. It's torture, But when David writes in Psalm chapter 40, I waited patiently, he's he's saying something a little bit different. He's not waiting for someone to come out of a a store. He's waiting in in more of an active way. We we lose a little bit in the translation, but but he's not passively waiting for the cards to be revealed. He's waiting. Here's, Here's the word for wait in the Hebrew. It's kava. The word is kava, which means to bring, to long for something, to look forward to something to wait for? That's a standard definition. But that's not what's most interesting about the definition. What's most interesting about Psalm 40 is that David uses the word twice, back to back. He's repeated the word. And so when we read in our Bibles, it says, I waited patiently. What it actually says, a strict reading of the Hebrew would say, I waited while I waited. Have any of you ever waited while you were waiting? You're like, what am I going to do? What, what else am I supposed to do? Like run in circles or whatever? I'm waiting while I wait. David is not just passively waiting for fate to play out. He understands there's something deeper in the waiting in the season that he's in, in his life. They're not meant to be passively set through. I, I hope you make it. I, you know, hang on till the ride comes to a full and complete stop. And then you can move on with your life. I think it was Janis Joplin that famously said, I, I love being on stage. And everything else is just waiting. Waiting is torture if it's not active. But in the life of a Christian, waiting is not passive. It's active. It's active. What does it mean to wait actively? Am I supposed to run in circles? Am I supposed to, you know, do calisthenics or something? Like, what? how do I wait actively? How do I, you know, I remember uh, listening to some people said, like, when you're watching sports, like when the commercials come on, you should do, like, a quick workout. And I'm like... We watch different sports. Like we're a different kind of person. Like you're a different breed and you're like, oh, I'm going to jump up and do some push-ups or something like that. I was like, I'm going to go to the fridge and uh, get a snack. That's my calisthenics. Actively waiting. What does it look like to actively wait? Well, as we read the rest of the Psalm, uh, David actually kind of fleshes out what it means to actively wait. Look at verse four. How happy is anyone who has put their trust in the Lord? And it's not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us, none can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, there are more than can be told. The first thing David does is he mentions a couple different ways that if we're passively waiting on a season of our life to pass, if we're just passively waiting, he mentions a couple ways how you'll actually make that worse. It'll make waiting harder. It'll make, it'll make waiting feel like torture or just miserable, if you will. And the first thing, the first things that he mentions is pride and lies. One of the first things that we do when um, we feel distant from God or we feel distant from, uh, you know, his love or his hope and we feel like he's not there or not listening to our prayers or whatever. One of the first things that we tend to do is we isolate ourselves. We pull ourselves away from other people. Because we don't, wanna, we don't want people to know that we're not fine. And so we, we pull ourselves away from other people and we, we stop hanging out with those friends who tend to encourage us and we start to get ourselves away. Well, that is an act of pride. 
This is an act of pride. It takes humility to wait. It takes humility to understand the longevity of waiting. Prideful people want the front of the line. And if God is taking too long, pride will tell you to get yourself out there and fix it yourself. Your season of pain, if it lingers along too, too long, there's, there's a medication for that or there's something you can do to get over that. You should not have to feel like that for very long. So get out there and do something. And so we stack up coping mechanisms because we don't want people to see that we're not fine. It's an act of pride. I am okay. I, I'm going to go into public and I'm going to put on my smile and I don't want anybody to know that I'm not fine. The other temptation that we, be, that, we, that we see is that we believe lies. He says, those who go towards pride and those who believe lies, lies that we tell ourselves, like, like bad things happen to me because I'm a bad person or I deserve to be in this pit or every right decision I thought I made was actually the wrong decision. And it's like a, a choose your own adventure book. And every time I get to the page where I get to choose my own adventure, I choose pain. And I've done something wrong. I am wrong. Therefore, I'm in this season of waiting. We believe the lies we tell ourselves. We believe the lies that other people tell us. We look at social media and we see all the posts that tell us that everyone else has a a perfectly curated and filtered life, that it's all perfect and that my life is falling apart. It's true that my life is falling apart. (laughs) But it's not true that everybody else has got it all put together. We believe the lies that other people sell us. We also believe the lies that our enemy tells us. The enemy tells us. Just like he did with Eve in the garden, he twists God's words or, or he says that God's word has no meaning or what he said he doesn't actually mean and that his promises are worthless. We believe lies. So we believe lies and we turn towards pride and we convince ourselves that God has abandoned us, that he has left us, that his, his people don't care even though we've moved away from them and we've moved away from him and his church is powerless. But the antidote that David gives us for pride and lies, is to remember God's faithfulness. To remember God's faithfulness. We don't like to think back to the past things, but when we start to look back, when we turn back and we see that God has been faithful. In Psalm 121, David David says that uh, he, he looks up to the hills, or literally to the mountains, and he sees these mountains kind of all around him. And as he sees these mountains, he's reminded of God's faithfulness. Every mountain representing the time that God had been his deliverer. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from these mountains, these monuments and moments of my life that every single time that I have been in a pit of despair, and I can look back and see that God has brought me up. And he's raised my eyes. He can just see the mountains. Remember God's faithfulness. We used to sing this song growing up in church called Count Your Blessings. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, the hymns. Okay, I lost like half of the crowd there. They're like, it was a hymn. It was in those little red books and it was Count Your Blessings. And we had a lady who would stand up in the front of our church. Her name was Nadine. And she would put her arms out like this and she would wave them all around. And you had to follow Nadine, okay? Like you couldn't do your own thing. There was no ad lib, no solos, anything like that. Nadine was the, I mean, Jesus was the focus, but Nadine... She did some work up there, right? So we had piano, organ, Nadine. That's the holy trinity of my church growing up, right? I'm going to get struck by lightning if I keep talking. Um, so the, so, so she would, we would do this song, and we sang it so many times. It's one of her favorites. And there's a part in the chorus of the song. The chorus of the song goes, count your many blessings. Remember what God has done, something like that. Uh, count your many blessings, see what God has done. But there's a, port, there's a point where you actually, she would slow down the song. I looked at the sheet music. It's, there's, no, there's no fermata in there. There's no, there's no time when you're supposed to slow down in there. 
But there's one part where it goes, it goes, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Did you guys sing it slow too? All right. It's not in the music. It's supposed to just be the same pace as the rest of the song. But I mean, she would, her arms would slow down and it was name them one by one. And I feel like she would like test us. Are you watching Nadine? And we're like, can we go yet? Can we go yet? And then when she would do this, we'd finally be able to count your many blessings, see what God has done, right? I started thinking about that. Um, I can't remember that song without slowing down at that moment. I can't, I can't do it. And I think it's, it's a good thing because when, when we look at what David is doing here, he's looking back to the faithfulness of God. And everything around him is swirling. He's, he feels like he's in the pit of despair. And every step that he takes, he goes deeper into the mud. And you know, if you've ever been in mud, going faster isn't always the best thing. And, he, and so he gets this thing, slow down, look up, remember the times when God has blessed you. Name them one by one. And as David starts to count he realizes that there are too many to count. There are too many times when God has pulled him up from a different pit to count. There are so many blessings. The end of that song says, count your many blessings, see what God has done. And it will surprise you. Sometimes we just forget. We're so blindsided. We can't see, we can't, we can't understand. We, 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 we don't look back and think of all the things that God has done. Name them one by one Remember God's faithfulness. David moves on to one of, I think, the most challenging part of waiting. In verse verse 6, he says this, You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, see, I I have come in in the scroll. It is written about me. I delight to do your will, my God. And And your instruction is deep within me. David starts to look around and he's, he says, I see the faithfulness of God, but I don't see it for me. I don't see it right now in my pit. He's still, he's still inwardly focused. He's still very consumed with the pride and the lie. He's still consumed with himself. And it says here that, that God has given him ears to hear. It says, you have opened my ears. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, ears you have dug for me. I'm going to use that with my kids. Boy, I'm going to dig you some ears, right? You ever feel like God forgot to dig your kids some ears, right? That's what David has been stubborn. David has been um, ignoring God's words. I mean, he's looking around. He's like, I see, I see it in the mountains, but I don't see it here. He can't hear when God is whispering to him. He can't hear the still small voice of God because he has closed his ears off to it. It's very similar to what Jesus is saying when he says to his disciples, let he who has ears, let him hear. It's like, of course you can hear if you have ears. That's not always the case. And so God digs new ears for us and we finally see what God desires. See, for, for David, it wasn't another burnt offering or an animal sacrifice to throw on the altar. It was for you and for me and for David to obey God's words. As quiet as they may seem or as as hard as they may be to obey God's word, King David knew that the sacrifices were required. He knew that. He knew the codes and the rules. He knew all the the right things, the right prayers to say and the rituals. He knew the B-I-B-L-E song, right? He knew all of that. That's the book for me. That's that's what I'm doing. It's, It's the Bible thing, right? But God digs him some deeper ears so that he can actually listen and obey. He has put animal offerings on the altar all of his life. 
His whole life, he has, he has put animal after animal and offered God, uh, offered God a sacrifice, but he has not given God what he really wants. God wants him. He wants David. Romans chapter 12 alludes to this when it urges believers to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Have you ever thought about that for a second? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? You know, the most frustrating thing that would happen with a living sacrifice is that when the fire starts, it can roll off of the altar. <laughs> like it can crawl off of the altar. That's why there, there weren't living sacrifices in the Old Testament. Because that was very hard to do. It's hard to sacrifice an animal that doesn't want to be there. But as a living sacrifice, we crawl onto the altar. And when the fire heats up, and when the trials of life, when the storms of life, when the seasons of life get hard, we don't crawl off of the altar when the faith that we say we had, that we trusted, gets tested, we tend, to, we tend to crawl off. David says in Psalm 119, something very familiar, he says, he says that, that God's words are like a lamp into his feet and a light into his path. A lamp so that he can see where he's going. He's not just walking in the darkness, which he'll mention here in a little bit. A light into his path so he can understand truth from the lies. They, they're hidden in his heart so that he doesn't sin, so that he doesn't turn from God down the wrong path, so that he doesn't stumble. To obey God's word is to listen and obey. Did David sin? Yeah, he did. <laughs> Absolutely he did. A scandal that would make the tabloids blush. You guys remember the story? He sends his army out to war while he's supposed to be going with them. I mean, he is the king of Israel after all. But he sends his army out and he stays back. And from his position of power, he pursues Bathsheba. From, from, from his tower, summons her to his place, gets her pregnant, lies about it, tries to trick her husband into coming off of the battlefield so that he will be convinced that it's his child. And when that doesn't work, he sends, he sends him back out to the battlefield so that he can die and be murdered. And then all of this finally culminates when he's approached by the prophet. He's approached and called out for his sins. This national scandal that he can no longer sin his way out of and consequences come. You can hear his regret in verse 12. For the sins that he has committed, the pain that he has caused. Right now, I can't see because I'm surrounded by my troubles. My sins and shortcomings have caught up with me. There's no blaming here. He's not blaming someone else. So I am swimming in darkness. Like the hairs of my head, there are too many to count. So my heart deserts me. David realizes that there's no substitute or sacrifice for his whole self. He could go through the motions. He could offer the sacrifices. He could say the right things. He could lead the nation of God. But there was no band-aid fix, no quick fix for his brokenness that he has caused, that were caused by his disobedience to the commands of God. And I think it's fair to say that some of us, some of you are in a pit of your own making. You have dug your own pit. The, the pile of unrepentant sin has gotten too high. Every lie that you have told has just made it worse and worse, and it's more darkness. Every mess you try to clean up, every closet door that you try to keep closed, every internet browser history tab that you delete, every single thing just seems like you're like what David would say, I'm swimming in darkness. Every stroke I take is just, is just more darkness. It just makes it worse and worse. So the command and the call for you this morning is to obey God's word. Repent. 
Crawl on the altar. Come clean. It won't be easy. There has been damage done, just as generations would suffer because of the sin of David. He would lose that son that he had with Bathsheba. It will not be easy. The damage has been done from the sin. The consequences will exist, but it will be worth it. When you start obeying God's word and walking towards him, he's not a father who looks and sees you coming and turns and locks the door. Like, oh, that guy's coming back, locking the door. But he's a father who runs to the prodigal children. To those who have strayed, he comes and he runs He's a loving father. He's longing for you to stop hurting yourself and hurting others with your sin. He's a father who runs. Obey his word. Get get rid of the pride and the lies that muddy your vision, that cloud up your ears. Obey the word of God. Now, with that said, there are some in this room that are like, "What, what have I done to be in this season? What have I done to be in this moment? There are some of you in a season of waiting or a season of pain or a season of hurt because of the sins of someone else. Someone else has caused this on you. And maybe it's pretty easy to draw that line and you can go, I know exactly why I'm here. It's an unfaithful spouse who broke your trust. You catch a friend in a lie or maybe your child is being bullied at school. Your boss is harassing you. Someone turned the secret that you gave them into gossip around the office. Or someone who was supposed to protect you when you were a child didn't protect you but abused you. There are deep hurts across this room that have made you feel like God isn't listening. It made you feel like you have been abandoned and that God doesn't care. I know every story is different and every amount of damage and hurt will be unique. But, but know this. Just as God doesn't lock the door from those in sin repenting to him, God wants you to come home. God wants you to feel his love. He's running to you. Jesus died to remove the shame. Jesus' body was broken so that you could find hope in brokenness. You're not what has happened to you. You are not being punished and you're being called home. Know that these issues are not just spiritual. It's not just a prayer you can pray and this all goes away. I'm not trying to minimize that in any way. But I also know that it's not just emotional and it's not just physical. Run to the Father. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavied with burdens, and I will give you rest. The command for those who are living in sin and the command for those feeling the brunt of that sin from others is the same. Delight in the word of the Lord. Run to him, obey his word, pursue God, lay yourself on the altar. There is rest from the one who has hurt you. There is healing from the wounds that you carry. There is forgiveness for your disobedience. Not in the ritual sacrifice of taking a little cracker and drinking a little juice or the ritual sacrifice of coming to church every week or even go back to the Old Testament and the ritual sacrifices of a whole burnt offering or a sin offering but in the real repentance, real renewal, real restoration that comes from submitting your will to his will and obeying his word. David continues in verse nine. He says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. As you know, Lord, 
I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. David is not shy about his story. He's not going to keep his mouth shut about the times when God has delivered him. Even still in the pit, he's going to continue to talk about the faithfulness of God and his story. This reminds me of a friend of mine who was raised in a Muslim family, born and raised in Tajikistan. And as he grew up, he actually um, had a vision. He had a dream about Jesus. And he met Jesus in a dream and his life completely changed. His whole family has disowned him. Um, and and it's, there's a story. It's like anytime you sit with him, I, I look at him I'm like, oh, let me, tell me that story again. <laughs> let me hear that. So I think sometimes we, we treat our stories like old dusty books, right? It's like, this is how Jesus saved me a long time ago. Close the book put it on the shelf, right? Look, I, I, we don't need to tell that story again. Man, every time I sit with this guy, I want to hear that story. And so we tell our story. We, t- we tell our story for a few different reasons. God, you know, David, part of David in the waiting is that he is unashamedly, unrestrained, telling of what God has done. You tell your story. Sometimes I feel like there's, you know, I've got a long history of like God, God delivering me and a miracle through um, cancer diagnosis and multiple times, tons of that sort of stuff. And sometimes I just kind of treat it like that. It's like a pass by story. It's like, ah, if you didn't know me then, it's not a big deal. Let's, you know, they don't know that story. They don't need that. But, but when I'm in the pit, when I'm in despair, when I'm in a time of waiting and I can think back and think of those telling that story, you, you need to tell your story because you need to hear it again. You need to hear it. You need to be reminded. It's not just a story. Sometimes we just do that. We're like, I've got my story. I put it on the shelf. Now I'm going to move on with the rest of my life. God will write a new story. That's not just a story. That is part of an anthology that God has written in your life. The times that he's delivered you. Remember, the story of this trial will become the faithfulness that you cling to in the next trial. Don't stop telling your story because you need to hear it but also tell your story because someone else needs to hear it. Paul would tell the Corinthian church. He would say, you need to tell your story. And the reason you need to tell is because God has given you that story for a reason. Look at what he says. It's second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four. What a wondrous God we have. He is the, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy and the one who so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And why does he do this? Why does God comfort us? Well, because I deserve it, right? Keep reading. So that when others are troubled, needing sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them the same help and comfort that God has given us. Tell your story. Tell your story because you need to be reminded and others need to hear it. Finally, towards the end of the psalm, David, David kind of, with full clarity and understanding what God is doing and is going to do in his life and full confidence that he's going to be there in the pit. He tells us to rejoice continually. Rejoice continually. He's not out of the pit yet, but you can see that he knows that God is the one who's going to deliver him. Look at verse 16. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, the Lord is great. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. 
you know, we sing that song Waymaker often in the bridge of it. It says, even, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. You never stop working. This is what David is saying. Like, I know that you're doing amazing things. Everybody, everyone who, who's, who loves you and rejoices in you is saying it out loud. I can hear that. I'm not feeling it right now, but I know that you're working. Paul tells the Philippian church to rejoice in the Lord always in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their persecution. Rejoice in the Lord always. And like David said, while I was waiting, I was waiting. Paul says, while you're rejoicing, rejoice. And again, I'll say, rejoice. Rejoice continually. David is still in the pit. He's oppressed and he's needy. And he still calls on God as his deliverer and his helper. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, God is working. He is my deliverer. I hope that you believe that. Once a year, I go see an oncologist. It's a really long story. I'll tell you sometime. Um, but I, I go in, and it's actually coming up here in a few months. I go in to see an oncologist. It's just a yearly checkup just to make sure that everything is on the right path, still in remission, everything's great. Um, I don't get too worried about these appointments because I'm like eternal optimist. My wife is just like praying and she's just hoping, you know, all this, like everything. We're just making sure, you know, she's, she's worried. I'm just like, I can't believe I got to leave work for this. Um, but one of the things, one of the things that happens that annoys me at this appointment, and maybe you get annoyed by this too, is I, I, I go and I check in and I go into the waiting room. The waiting room's got all these chairs and there's always, you know, lots of people just kind of waiting, okay? And then, and then I get called back to check in again and go to another waiting room, right? I was like, there are doctor's rooms in this place, right? Like, do I get to see the doctor or am I going to another way? Like, there's been times when I've been actually sent back to the original waiting room. Sorry, we didn't mean to call you back. I was like, you said my name. I was like, no, we didn't mean your name. We meant somebody else's name. So they send you back to the waiting room and then back to the waiting room. And those are frustrating times. But one of the things I've just tried to do is, you know, it's once a year. I try to redeem the time when I'm in that second waiting room because that's the one where I'm getting ready to see the doctor. And I almost always run into somebody who's just starting their, their journey, whether it's through chemo or radiation. They're just meeting the doctor for like the first time. And they just started in their cancer battle. And when I used to just be like, kind of look at them and be like, oh man, that's got to be rough. Glad I'm not there. Now I start to strike up a conversation. Try to tell my story. And they'll, they'll ask me, they're like, well, you look pretty young to be in here, which is, they're going to stop saying that eventually. But like, <laughs> you look pretty young to be in, in this room. I was like, I've been doing this since I was 16. They're like, you've been in this waiting room since you were 16. Like, it feels like that sometimes, right? And we start to share stories and I learn their diagnosis and I tell them mine and the hope that I found in Christ, the hope that, that, that Jesus gave to our whole family through the process of this. And I always try to, you know, pray with them before, before we go. And then inevitably one of us will be called back, whether it's me or them and, you know, pleasantries, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I always feel that, that that's much more productive in that second waiting room. That's much more productive than just scrolling Instagram or watching another YouTube video. Because waiting, waiting feels different when it's active and not passive. It, it feels different because it is different. There's a purpose. There's a usefulness to it. But then there's even times when we find ourselves so deep in the pit and so deep in despair that we, we can't see the purpose. We can't find the purpose. 
And there are times like, why do I have to keep going back to this waiting room every single time? Why do I have to do this? I have to remind myself that David cried out in Psalm chapter 13, how long, O Lord? How long? That's actually what they used as the chorus for you two. You know, they, they couldn't keep on going in Psalm 40. So they jumped to another one. How long, O Lord? How long am I going to have to be in this, in this pit? How long am I going to have to wait? You feel like that this morning. Here's something I've had to remind myself in that very real sense of actually waiting. While I'm moved from waiting room to waiting room and sometimes back and forth, the doctor is, is in the back somewhere in an undisclosed location. Um, he's combing over the, the lab work that I had just done. He's looking at my history. He's looking at... Um, you know, some the things that he needs to look for to say, uh, should we be worried about this? Should we do another test? Should we? Uh, he's going through all of the things, all of the, the things that I, I don't ever get to see. And the stuff, honestly, if I got to see the papers, I would be like, I don't know what any of these numbers mean. He's getting to look through all of this. He's combing through, thoroughly checking to make sure there's no abnormalities or concerns. I don't get to see that work. And so even when I'm frustrated in the waiting room, even when I'm impatient, in the waiting room. I have to remind myself that while I'm waiting, the doctor's working. While I'm waiting, even though I can't see it, stuff is getting done. And while we wait, while we actively wait, while we rejoice in him continually, while we obey his word and tell our story, while we are actively waiting, while we're waiting, God is working for you. He's working for your good, even in the waiting. He's fighting for you in the waiting. God is protecting you while you are waiting. God is good, even when you're not fine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And on this day that can be so sweet and yet so bitter, we find ourselves in seasons of longing, find ourselves in seasons of just crying out to you. How long? How long do we have to endure? God, help us to remember the words of your servant, David, that there are so many times when you have pulled us up out of the pit. There are so many mountains and monuments around our lives that we can look to to remember your faithfulness. Help us to see them. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear your blessing over our lives. Thank you so much that you are so good and we are so not fine. In Christ's name we pray. We give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the faithfulness of God. Uh, one of those would be if you just, you're in a season of waiting, you're in, a, you're in a pit and you just feel like you need some encouragement, you need some prayer. I would, I would highly recommend that you step out of your seat whenever we're worshiping here. Grab one of our prayer team members. They'll be down the sides on here. And uh, as they're, they're there to pray for you. They're there to remind you of God's faithfulness. They're there to put their hand on your shoulder, unless you don't like that sort of thing. Then you can just smack it off, right? They're there for you to remind you that God is working in the waiting. Would you go and pray with someone from our prayer team? If you want to talk about your next steps in faith towards God, if you want to talk about starting to climb up out of the pit or just seeing the faithfulness of God, I'll be outside in decision point, not outside. It's probably hot out there by now, but through these double doors, I'll be in decision point. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you, encourage you this morning. 
This will also be a good time to, to be reminded that the blessings that we have from God, we can bless him back. If you're, if you're blessed by the ministry of Northside, if you're blessed by the people of Northside, you can give this morning. You can do that online through our website or the text to give. I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning to give thanks to God, to, to remember his faithfulness, and to remember that he is so good even when we're waiting and we're not fine. Let's worship together, church. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.